World War III. Maybe I could have stopped it if I just ran a little faster. Faster! The speed force allows the reverse flash to travel through time. He changed something in the past. We have to find out what he changed and change it back before they kill everyone on the planet. I'm a hero. You mean like Batman? No matter how fast you run, you can't save everyone. We're running out of time. War's over. Everybody lost. No! You'd be amazed the monsters this world can create. Chama people, and welcome to our 198th episode of Happiness and Darkness, a superhero movie podcast where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, Dijanek, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime and uh, the fastest man alive, I, I believe, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? Uh, well, I don't know if I ever want to be called the fastest man alive. That's, that's kind of a, you know... Depends on who's asking. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not too bad. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. And Keith joining us today is a great guest and making his debut here on the podcast. I had the pleasure of guesting on his podcast as we reviewed one of my, my favorite movies, The Witches. And the man, of course, of the hour today is Sean. Hey, Sean, how are you? And welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here, but I'm a bit worried. I mean, you've already cut down your... your... Your co-host there calling him the quickest man alive. I'm starting to think, <laughs> what on earth have I agreed to? Yeah, right. What did you step into? <laughs> I, I guess we shall see. Well, folks, the reason I called the Keith Bliss the fast man alive is because today we are discussing Justice League, the Flashpoint Paradox from 2013. This was directed by Jay Oliva, whom Keith and I have met numerous times at this point. The story was by Jim Krieg, while the score was by Frederick Biedemann. So, uh, Sean, actually, starting with you, as you are our guest today, what are your general thoughts and impressions on the Flashpoint Paradox? Oh, I, I think it's, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, it makes me struggle to understand why DC can't make decent live-action films. It's like if you can do this with like a fraction of the budget and and the writers and, and that kind of why why can't you do it in live action? Like they they genuinely can't do it. But yeah, I mean, I'm not somebody who's not. I'm, I like superhero films, but I, I I'm at like saturation point. Like I, I've I've tipped over that point a, a year or so ago, where I'm just like, there's too many of them. But these animated ones, because the feel of it different, it's like you've got to put effort in. I'm not saying you don't put effort in live action films. All I mean is, but they feel more like a you know a labor of love, in that you know you don't have a massive budget. You've got to make it the best you can, get a decent script because you can't hide behind anything. You know, yeah, it's you know, it's it's all drawn and computer generated or whatever. But you've got to have a decent script. Your your voice actors have got to be really good. So, yeah, mm. great one. Awesome. I mean, did you actually get a chance to see the Flash, which also on which the you know, is based loosely based on this story? Uh, yeah, you you couldn't drag me to to watch that. <laughs> uh, I I might catch it in a few uh, in about three weeks when it's free to watch on the tv somewhere but uh no i i've 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 absolutely no interest i've been burned too many times recently with with films and i have no interest i've i've my, my go-to is to talk to my friends who like we've all got those friends you know you, you, right who you say right you know no bs is this any good 
And the feedback I've got from my friends is, oh, dear God, this is worse than you've heard. I'm like, right, well, I'm not going to spend my money for this because it's not cheap, the cinema. Oh, no, fair enough. So, yeah, definitely save your hard-earned money for, for other things indeed. And uh, Keith, what were, what were your general thoughts on this one? I really enjoyed this movie. I own the Flashpoint comic book. And to watch this, while it's not like 100% shot for shot from the comic book, it is much better closer to the original story much better written just literally better across the board in every aspect opposed to that train wreck of a movie that we reviewed last week i've watched it two or three times i actually own the movie and we were talking about it offline uh sean had the uh flashpoint batman i own a lot of the flashpoint action figures because they were so cool so I, I really enjoyed the story. And this was one of the few stories that kind of brought me back into the DC world when I took a break because there was just so much comic book fatigue going on there for a while. Mm. No, I, I definitely hear you. I mean, and I thought it was interesting that uh, this movie came out in 2013, which is actually referenced to in the Flash movie from this year. So I was like, oh, you know, that's a coincidence. I think not. So, uh, so I thought that was that was kind of sweet. And funnily enough, I have quite a history with this movie in the sense that uh, I have watched it so many times. It's probably one of the first DC animated movies I actually watched. I mean, at this point, this movie's been out for 10 years. So uh, really enjoyed it. Was a big fan, of course, of the, the comic storyline. I think th this version comes the closest to the original uh, source material, but, I, but at the same time, different enough for it to be you know, somewhat surprising in certain, in certain aspects. And I was actually pleased with how unsanitized this version is. Heck, I mean, you have people chopping people's heads off, you've got blood and guts, you've got sex, you've got all sorts of things going. I'm like, wow, this I can enjoy. This is really, really fun. So uh, my larger thought was great. And not to mention for the runtime, the pacing is really good. You're not feeling like it's being rushed. It's the right amount, though. And at the same time, when the credits roll, I'm like, oh, man, it's over already. That's a shame. I really enjoyed it. But uh, but yeah, this is actually one of the better ones. And uh, uh, congrats on the Jay Oliva for doing a great job directing this particular movie. So let's start off by looking at our characters on the board, starting with our Scarlet Speedster himself. We have Justin Chambers as Barry Allen, The Flash. So, uh, Keith, starting with you, what were your thoughts on uh, our Flash in this one? I enjoyed him as the Flash. This is more akin to the Justice League cartoons or Justice League of America, depending on which you know cartoon you started watching. And I liked him. I enjoyed it. He was a much better fit for the team. And as we joked about the, the hashtag last week, not my Flash, he's definitely more my Flash than I was expecting based on the comic book, based on the story, the writing, and everything else that had transpired in the DC universe up until that point. He was closer to that and what I expected as the Flash to be, interactions, mannerisms, writings, the sarcasm, everything just fit better and flowed so much better than in the live action movie. A lot of the live action, while funny, seemed kind of forced and just there was also a lot of awkwardness with some of those jokes. Heck, even that whole microwave scene with the baby, just cringeworthy. You know, there was none of that here where you're just like, ooh, why did they do whatever they did? So I, I, by and large, enjoyed him as the Flash. And if they were to, you know, bring him back as to do more Flash after the James Gunn shenanigans start, I would watch it again. Oh, definitely for sure. I mean, I agree with Justin did a great job voicing this character. And Sean, what did you make of, of the Flash? Yeah, I, like yourself and Keith said, 
I like the tone it takes in that it doesn't play it safe. It goes quite gritty and it's like, oh, okay, right. They're actually going for this. This is pretty cool. And like Keith was saying, like, I'm not, I've never really read the comics. I have no background with, with the flash with DC with Marvel. Really. I, I can pick bits here and there, but I, I you know, there's a, to watch it as a layperson, you know, the, the flash in this, he's, you know, Barry Allen, he's very much, he's like trying to figure himself out. His mother's being killed, spoilers, when he's younger. And that's obviously impacted his life. And he, you know, it does, it's a great scene at the beginning where they have the, the, the bit with the car where the, he's broken down with his mom and it hasn't how old is he like eight or nine or 10 or whatever. And she says to him, look, accept the things you can't change change the things you can and have the wisdom to know the difference. And it's basically like a morality tale. And maybe the that's what's missing from other films. Like, oh, I've not seen The Flash, so I can't comment massively. But this has a really good through line for The Flash. He has this really strong character story that pushes it along. And then you get all the other people in. And everybody who's in it, and I can't pretend to know who they all are, because I'm not that into the... I'd like to find out and watch it again, but but you, you, nobody feels like they've just crowbarred in a cameo. And from what I've heard, that's kind of how The Flash feels. <laughs> but this, it feels earned. Like the people, like Aquaman's there. All these characters are there, but they're all doing something in whatever universe they're in. Like it makes sense. And I like it when a world feels real. Like the world building's great as well. Well, very, very well said. And I and I definitely agree. I mean, yeah, last week we were kind of going on the whole not my flash train. And yes, this is definitely closer to Barry Allen from the comics because, you know, we're not going to go back to, to revisit the whole Ezra Miller thing. But here I think it very much makes sense because like you were mentioning, even Sean, the tone is very, very different. It's much more serious, it's much more somber. You know, we have literally Barry still being plagued by what happened to his mom and how that has kind of, I guess, influence the way he lives his life I mean, to this you know even in present day before he goes back in time you know he's constantly visit, visiting her grave and he's thinking about you know everything that he's missed out you know without having his mom there and not to mention then when eobard thorn the reverse flash taunts him when he's get you know gets taken off to prison that is what sets barry off so you can tell that even though so many years have passed since then it's still very much an open wound for him and understandably because you know losing a loved one and especially your, your mother at such a young age can definitely you know, be incredibly traumatic and we can see that it's still very much a thing for him then and of course then sets him off on uh, on changing on change on trying to change time or trying to bring her back if you will and change events in history but yeah i also like the fact that he does have the quips, but he's not a, he's not Spider-Man. Unlike when the DCEU tried to make Ezra Miller Spider-Man from the MCU, this is not Spider-Man. Yes, he will make the odd joke here and there when we see at the top of the movie with the first fight with the rogues. But other than that, he's much more grounded. He's much more serious and just trying to figure things out. So I agree with you. Like you mentioned at the top of the, the review here, Sean, is why can't the DCEU get it right? So I guess at this point, we'll just have to hope and see mm -hmm. whether once um, James Gunn comes into play, whether things will be different. So I guess what we can do is cross fingers and hope, and maybe that they can take a leaf from the page of the animated DC movies. But so far, not the case. So uh, did either of you have anything else you would like to add when it came to this particular character before we move on, guys? Yeah, the poor guy. Not, not that I'm doing the issue down, but it's a cartoon. But no wonder the guy's haunted, right? His mom's being killed. And then he stood in the doorway. And then they're just leaving there for hours. 
standing in the same position. Yeah. I'm like, where was, oh, where, yeah. was where was where was <laughs> dramatically looked great, but where was the where was the Flash's version of you know uh, uh oh god his name's gone. Uh, Gary Oldman, detective, uh, oh Jesus, Gordon. Where was Gordon? Where was Flash's Gordon to put the coat around him and remind him that the world hadn't ended? He just gets left there in the doorway. I mean, it's it's really, it's really poor, really, but I'm joking. Very traumatic. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. No, yeah, no, I, it's funny you, you talk about that. I didn't even think about it. He's literally there for like, I don't know, six, seven, eight hours, just frozen, and nobody's like, hey, yeah, friend, yeah, just, come on, let's go get a hot chocolate or something. Yeah, yeah, should we, should we maybe move this kid away from this crime scene? I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's concerned his dead anybody. mom. Yeah, can't be good. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, we literally see him walking into the door with his his mother's body lying on the ground in the pool of blood, and then it just cuts to mid to into night where we hear see hear obviously the police sirens going on, and then obviously I guess the whole thing about Barry's uh, father being accused of having murdered his mom. But obviously here, if my memory serves, we never sort of really see Barry talk to his dad or visit him in prison, which has always been a big thing in the Flash mythos. But I guess like. We want to go straight, cut, you know, we have a certain amount of time. We can't focus on that too much, which was a shame, but I, but that's a great point there, Sean. Yeah. This kid is like, there, like mom's dead. Nobody's here. You know, it's like, oh, it's, it's poor, poor, poor Barry. We really, we feel for you. So I guess then moving on, let's get to uh, the caped crusader from the new reality created by Barry. We have, of course, Kevin McKidd as Thomas Wayne, Batman, and Michael B. Jordan, yes, indeed, Killmonger himself from the MCU as Vic Stone, Cyborg. So, Sean, starting with you, what do you make of this particular Batman and Cyborg? Am I right in thinking this is the late Kevin Conroy? Did, did he pass away last year? Am I, I'm thinking, am I yeah, right? Kevin Conroy. Yeah, yeah. This, is another, this is another Kevin, though. The guy who plays the regular oh. Batman in this is Kevin Conroy. Kevin McKidd is the one who plays Bruce's ah, father. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. okay. Uh, oh, yeah, I thought um, I thought the Batman in this was great. Like, I really like this rendition of Batman. The, the, you know, the, it, you have the feeling that the, at this point, the Justice League, uh, they're like a family, like the are at each other like brothers, and sisters like it's a really like family feel but like taking the other, which i liked because i like the fact the film doesn't because how many origin stories can you see but but they kind of jump straight into it and right this is a fully formed justice league this is like another day at the office for them and i, I liked batman in this uh it was pretty good i mean to be fair though i've got to say the regular batman is trumped by thomas wayne but i'm sure we'll come on to it well, this is true. I, I, uh, I make a good point that this was quite a brutal Thomas Wayne indeed. And uh, did you have any thoughts when it came to a uh, cyborg to Vic Stone? I thought I, th I liked Cyborg. I think it, in the regular like universe at the beginning, he's like stoic, dependable, is reporting to the president. He feels very much like a go-between, and it felt a little bit like. I know I'm switching over here, so bear with me. Uh, it felt a little bit like the MCU and what Tony started and trying to work with the governments to regulate. So it felt like he was kind of like the government's like kind of helping them out and kind of, I was going to say like Kingsley Shacklebolt and Harry Potter, but it's a bit of a weird reference, but that, that kind of thing, you know? So so that, that I like that. And then you get to the, the alternate universe and he is still in the same role, but of course the universe is falling apart around his ears. And then the president does the dirty on him and says, right, thanks for all your help. But you're, you know, you, you're done. Like you, we don't need you anymore. So yeah, really, really liked this character. Didn't have a clue who it was, but because I'm English, but liked it all the same. I love. The I just appreciate all the references here that you made, <laughs> Harry Potter and everything. I love it. You've never, <laughs> you've never spoken to me before, have you? This is what it's like. 
Yeah, no, I have not. This is the first time I'm enjoying this immensely. <laughs> awesome. And Keith, actually, speaking of you, I know you're a huge Cyborg fan. So, yeah, what did you make of uh, this version and of uh, Bruce's father being Batman? So I, I like the distinctions between both Cyborg and Bruce and obviously his father in the two different universes. In you know the prime universe, we'll call it, he's it's an accident and he gets converted into you know cyborg and then Bruce takes up this mantle because of what happens to his parents. Conversely, in the alternate flash verse or whatever we're gonna call it, he is Bruce is killed and the dad snaps and takes up this mantle. And uh cyborg is I'm going to assume a military individual because we don't really get too too much of his origins, but some sort of government science project. Um, I did like how they they roughed them up between the two universes. Um, I would have preferred a little bit more with Bruce's father, but I'm just a Batman fan, so I'm a little biased. Um, the way he interacted with everybody, it was kind of based on the writing in the comic books. I expected a lot of that interaction where uh, Wayne was just very, you know, old school mafia kind of muscle type man, which at the same time, doesn't make a lot of sense because he was supposed to be this gifted surgeon, and then he just like regresses into this basically hired muscle hitman kind of dude. And I was like, eh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a pass. Um, same thing with Cyborg. You don't know the, the, the shit he's seen. You know, was, was he injured in duty? Was this a, a volunteer project? Whatever the case may be. They give you like just enough to kind of pique your interest and also want to know more about that, which... They explain in all the side comic books that came out during this whole Flashpoint paradox. There was like only a thousand tie-ins. So you got most of those stories like with Bruce's father and his mother and things of that nature. And where this eventually ties into uh, Manhattan and all that fun stuff at the post scenes. So I, I liked it. They, they they did enough to distinguish the two. And I think for each universe, they were appropriate, if that makes any sense. One was kind of a little bit more upbeat with the cyborg, where the other one you could see, you know, cyborg has seen some shit. He's a government's, you know, CIA spec ops kind of guy, you know, covert crap. And same thing with Batman. So I, I like what they did with both considering. Yeah, I mean, because it's true how terrible the, you know, the world has literally gone to pot. It literally made me almost think of, um, you know, to, to make a weird reference, made me think of, of Pottersville, if you will, when it comes to, to the old movies where, you know, it's uh, where, where George Bailey never, never lived. And so Potter has taken over the town. And so it's that, it, that was that kind of situation for me when, when I watched this. I'm like, OK, so basically because you saved Nora Allen, everything else goes to hell. And it was actually almost curious. I mean, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but it's kind of curious that we don't really see the moment in which Barry goes there and saves his mom. We just seem sort of running at top speed. And then it cuts to him waking up in the police station and finding out that the world has changed. And that is kind of only explained after once uh, the reverse flash has been killed and Barry gets his speed back and goes back and we see him, we see the two flashes and he knocks the one who was supposed to change the future. So that was, that was curious. I mean, it was an interesting cut, if you will, but we, it's the cut first kind of like, huh? So maybe the director wants to feel just as uh, out of it as Barry does of what the heck's going on? How did this all happen? And it's kind of explained later. But when it came to, to these characters, 
I, I agree with you, Keith, in the sense that, um, yeah, because we know Thomas Wayne as being this great surgeon. I Once again, speaking of trauma, he's, of course, been traumatized by having lost his his son at su- you know, such a young age, his, his kid being so young, and descending into alcoholism and literally you know, becoming this hardened Batman. And of course, the cue is when folks have red eyes, it's usually means they're rather mean and rather evil because this particular Batman, yeah, exactly. This Batman with kind of the red lenses, like, yeah, this is Batman on steroids and it's like the completely opposite of the way his son goes about things as in Bruce doesn't kill Thomas that could not care less. If he kills you, he's happy with it. And I guess the fact of him being a surgeon, he knows exactly what to do and how to inflict pain even more efficiently. I mean, we see this when he's torturing Barry, when breaking his fingers one after another. So he's like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to let you suffer by slowly breaking your fingers. And I appreciate the fact that even when Barry's like, I need to get my speed back, put me on the roof and I need to get electrocuted. Thomas at first is like, okay, you're totally psycho, but I'm not going to be opposed to it. Let's do it. <laughs> He's just like, this guy's nuts, but I'll do it anyway. So uh, I, I, you wonder where Thomas's morality has gone at this point, where he's just like, screw it. Let's do this. I've got nothing better to do. And uh, But then I did like that, even though he stays very rough and gruff throughout the course of the film, kind of like Bruce, uh, he, you, you can see that there, I think, some some emotion is showing, especially when he gives Barry the letter to give to Bruce, which is a beautiful moment. And of course, that's also in the comics, if memory serves, if I'm right, if I remember correctly, even at the end of Flashpoint, Flash does deliver the letter to Bruce from his father. So that's a beautiful moment. And Michael B. Jordan, I have to be honest, at first, when I heard Vic open his mouth, I did not recognize him. I I was like, I was like, this voice sounds familiar, but who is it? And uh, yet, you know, of course, it's uh, Michael B. Jordan these days is all over the place from Black Panther to Creed to everything. But he did a great job. I, I think, you know, Sean um, kind of uh, talked about Kingsley Shacklebolt. I guess if we use the um, comics version, he, comics world, he kind of reminded me a little bit also of Captain America, if you will, as in he's very much the government's mm-hmm. instrument if you will, because, yeah, he's reporting to the president. He's very much the goody two-shoes, if you will. And in fact, I believe even Thomas gives him hell over that, saying, oh, you know, you're kind of part of the, you work for the man, you know, what's wrong with you and such. So he kind of chastises Vic for being so, shall we say, pro-government. But uh, but in the end, you know, I like how they form this little trio and off they go and save Superman. And and of course, uh, off we go to the races for, for the rest of the movie. But I, I did. I did very much enjoy these these uh, these two characters tremendously. And uh, Kevin McKidd, as Thomas Wayne, fabulous, fabulous job. Love the voice work. So, uh, anything else you would guys, you guys would like to add on these two characters? Yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention my Thomas Wayne bits. I think it's this is one of the coolest versions of Batman we've ever seen. This is a damaged Batman. Like he throws Yoyo off the roof. He, you know, you should let it hit the pavement. He just doesn't care. But you've always felt like Batman, you know, Bruce Wayne had that in him. That if he was pushed just a little bit too far, he would go that way. You know, like Jeremy Irons says in, you know, the much maligned Batman versus Superman, you know, it doesn't take much to make a good man cruel. What a waste of a character. Uh, and I think, you know, you get some good quips from him, like hologram party, clever, saves a fortune and snacks. And I like the fact that in this universe, he's very cynical, like you said, uh, Nick, about government. Did you get Barry saying something like, oh, what, a secret government organization? I d- what? And, and, you know, Thomas Wayne is like, yeah, 
I can believe it type thing. And I just thought it was great. You know, he's very beaten. He stays out of this big war that's going on. You know, he says the war's over soldier. You just don't know it yet. Everybody left. And my favorite moment of Thomas Wayne is the part where he stayed out of it for so long. He's been like Doctor Who in the time war. He stays out of it, sticking with the weird references. He stays out of it, doesn't want anything to do with it, doesn't want to get dragged into it. But, you know, he's, he's defeated in a way, but he just, Barry says to him, look, are you going to come with us for this final, you know, this this battle? And he smiles and he's like, which is I think the only time you see him smile. And he's just like, what the hell? And you can see that kind of like father, like son in it, that he's like very much, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm alcoholic and whatever, but I can make a bit of a difference. So I love that. I mean, my final point, and I'm not going to make, I'm just going to say one sentence. DC, if you want a license to print money, and it should never be about money, but you know, get a good writer and a good director. Michael Keaton as Thomas Wayne, Flashpoint Batman, a license to print money. Seriously, I'm so disappointed they didn't do that in The Flash. And I don't even like comic books. I'm just a regular cinema goer. No, that's a big issue with The Flash. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing drawing you in. There's nothing in the trailers that looks good. The, C- the CGI looks an abomination, even in the trailers, which is meant to look good. So it's like, what, what are you, what are you trying to do to tempt in regular, non-comic book, you know, superhero, proper superhero? People? What are you doing? Not enough, clearly. But that, that's my. But honestly, I, I'd have loved that switch. Why don't you do that? Subvert my expectations that way. Forget the goofy humor. <laughs> I'd have loved that, but no. And it's kind of, I mean, granted, you know, um, this this is going a little bit OOT when it comes to, 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 to me saying this, but also the guy directing The Flash is Andy Muschietti, who directed the two It movies. So he could have definitely have gone the grittier path that uh, that uh, Jay Oliva went when it came to this particular movie. Because, you know, he Muschietti knows how to do dark, evil and scary very, very well, as we've seen from the It movies, especially the first part. But no, he decided to go completely comical, which was very, which seemed like a very strange choice to me, knowing what Muschietti is known for outside of doing one superhero movie. So it was a curious choice, but, uh, but you, make, you make some great points there, Sean. Uh, Keith, did you have anything else you wanted to, to say when it came to either Cyborg or Batman? Since I haven't made any weird references yet, um, Thomas Wayne is definitely the war doctor of Doctor Who. He basically just bides his time and eventually just goes, all right, let's go. Because he even calls out the other guys with the sonic screwdriver. He's like, what do you guys do with this thing? That's not what it was designed for. Like, gives the other iterations of himself shit for what they're using the sonic screwdriver for. So if I had to throw my one weird reference in, it'd have to be Thomas Wayne is the war doctor. That's why I like him so much. I didn't think of it until literally just now. That's why I I enjoy it. Sorry. Those are scientific (laughs) instruments, not water pistols. (laughs) (laughs) And for all of you guys that don't get that reference, you, you have to watch Doctor Who. It's, a, it's an amazing story. Well said. And this is why uh, the War Doctor, I believe, Keith, is your favorite Doctor. So, uh, so there is that too. 100%. Exactly. And an excellent choice, I might add. So I guess then moving on, guys, let's get to this reality's version of the Slim Man of Steel. We have Sam Daly as Superman. So, Keith, uh, granted, we got Supergirl when it came to The Flash, but what did you make of, uh, of Superman in this? I appreciate what they did with the story because you find out later on down the line that because he went back in time, Barry, he created these ripple effects. And they explain it so much better in this while it's still kind of 
I'm not going to say lazy writing. It is what it is. They needed some sort of MacGuffin to change the time flow. I appreciate, you know, them Superman crashing into Metropolis, leveling the city, and then they finding him and keeping him locked away. Still kind of the same story they did with Supergirl in the Flash movie, but he is completely disconnected. He can barely speak English. He doesn't know anything. He's just... He almost has like agoraphobia a little bit. He has no idea what's going on in the real world because this is all he's known his entire life. This room, the red sun, all of that. He's probably barely been fed, tortured, experimented on the whole nine yards. And then when he finally gets out, this, the look of relief on his face when he is in the gets the sun or hits the sun for the first time, you can feel that. You're just like, especially people who like walk, work in an office that don't have windows and you go outside and you're just like, Oh, the sun, the warmth, you know, he's bathing in it. He's enjoying that. He's absorbing, literally absorbing it. And you can almost relate to a certain extent. Again, people who work in offices can kind of get that weird, like, I know what that's like to go outside for the first time after sitting in my office for eight or 10 hours. And, you know, his weird interactions, him discovering his powers, the, the accidentally frying everybody the first time was kind of... Not funny how it sounds, but funny because Barry's like, close your eyes, cover your eyes, because he knows what's happening. He gets it. He's seen all this stuff happen before. He's trying to, you know, talk Superman down for lack of a better term. So it was an interesting, you know, his perception of the world. All he's seen was this room for his entire adult life. And the first time out, he gets attacked and he, he reacts accordingly. I'm not surprised that he kind of, you know, nuked everybody for lack of a better term. It just, you know, based on the comic books, again, I already had kind of an idea of where this character would go, and it kind of stuck relatively close to that story, all things being considered. Obviously, they deviated a little because they had a shorter runtime, but based on what I had read and what I was expecting, it kind of hit the nail on the head. I, I definitely think so myself. And Sean, what did you make of this version of Superman? Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I kind of half forgotten where Superman was. I mean, because you don't see him out, out in the Flash universe when when it changes, you don't see him for a long time. And they find him; he's like this weakened creature in a way that's hidden away. You know, he, he doesn't have a clue what's going on. And it's the you know the part when he hits the sun, as as you've said, and uh, Nick and then Keith were saying about how he basically starts to nuke people. But if you if you look at his backstory like this, the Flash universe he goes in, it was filled with characters who have not had, a, you know, their upbringings have been really rough or they've had traumatic things happen to them. The world's in this essentially massive world war and it's just, everything's just a mess. They don't have hope. There's a big thing around hope. Whereas Barry, the Flash has come from a world where there's hope and there's superheroes and there's heroes. There's a big thing around heroes. And the part when Superman kills and then flees in horror into the sky at kind of what he's done. I like that scene. It reminded me a little bit of, uh, is it X-Men, the first one, where Scott loses his visor type thing in the Grand Central Station or wherever it is in the train station. But I liked, I liked that scene because this is a Clark Kent, if, if he was Clark Kent, I'm not sure, uh, who hasn't had, you know, Martha... How do you know that name? Sorry. And, uh, and uh, who, who's the dad called? Uh, who's... Kevin Costner uh, plays him in the film. Yeah, um, John Jonathan Kent. Jonathan, Jonathan Kent. Kent. Yeah, thank you. Um, you. He hasn't had that upbringing. He hasn't had somebody to teach him how to, you know, rein his powers in, because we've always thought with Superman that he can go one of two ways. 
you know, with with these great powers, you you know, you go to the good side or you you, know, you go to the bad, really. Uh, and I I liked that, and it was good, you know, when he comes back later on. Good good iteration of Superman. It was good to see him a little bit different because we're used to seeing him at the height of his powers. So it was good to see like what would happen if if things didn't go that way. He landed somewhere, didn't land on this farm in the middle of America, and gets brought up by you know these adopted parents. He lands in a city, and the government are like the Independence Day, take his ship and shove him in a hole. So that was very Independence Day. That, but when they open the doors, I'm like, is this meant to look like that scene in Independence Day? But it's a good film. I'll take it. I'll take it. I, I think so too. Yeah, because like you said, we're often we're always used to seeing Superman. Yeah, like obviously super buff and, you know, very happy-go-lucky. And as we know, of course, the S on his chest literally stands for hope. And so you, you make a great, another great point there, Sean, because I think that's maybe one, another thing, another big problem with the, the Flash world is the absence of Superman, one could almost say, equals also the absence of hope because uh, he's not there. He has literally been locked in this uh, government facility forever. And, you know, Keith was mentioning the fact that he can barely speak or is it is enable or incapable of you know literally talking in fact he, we hear him when he when he when they rescue him when the flash and cyborg and batman save him he's literally like friend and all this kind of thing so he's, it seems like he's starting to learn and yeah and then with that epic moment when he does get you know get to bathes in the sun and takes out all the, the the military and stuff that was that was fantastic but at the same time i think when when uh when he does flee at the horrors boys done it almost seems like he's a child in a man's body in the sense that since he hasn't had those interactions, he probably has never grown mentally, if you will, because nobody's been there to educate him. So he's gotten older, but he has no concept of right or wrong or what have you. So he's literally just a child. And so it's almost like a kid doing something and then realizing that what they did was wrong. And so they, 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 they try to escape from what they've done. So they run away or it's that kind of reaction. I think just the way this Superman interacts with our heroes shows, I think the fact that he has not, doesn't have that, that development and hasn't had the opportunity to develop as a full fledged human being because of the, the circumstances he was in. But I appreciate the fact that, yeah, when push comes to shove granted, pretty much everybody dies in this, in this, uh, in this flash universe, at least he does come back and we have that kind of, you know, a, tear, a little bit of a tear jerking moment when Cyborg is about to die and we see Superman by his side kind of, you know, trying to, you know, I guess to be there for him during his last moment. So he does, he does a little bit of, he's able to grow a little bit and learn a little bit about the world for that in that brief spell. But it's still very much, like I said, a kid in a man's body. And if this version of Superman continues to exist somewhere, I guess, uh, you know, he's definitely going to need somebody to help him out to allow him to grow and allow him to reach that maturity, if you will, because if not, it could, he could he could very much be an, a loose cannon, if you will. It seems there is that good nature to him, I think. Yeah. But at the same time, I think he needs some, you know, uh, somebody there to guide him, if you will. He doesn't have those that man Park Kent thing, which, you know, definitely very much allowed him to have a good moral compass. So, so uh, I appreciate it too. And granted Sam Daly didn't get many lines, but uh, at least the, 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 the uh, original version of the primer version got a few more lines, but yeah, Sam Daly didn't really get much to say when it came to this version, but I agree with you both. This was a great, great version indeed. Um, anything else you guys would like to add? Yeah. So am I okay? Jump in there, Keith. Sorry. I was just thinking about about the the Superman. Well, if it follows the same kind of story Superman has, he lands as a baby, 
So he's landed as a baby. The government have escorted him away. So you got right. He's essentially like these real life, you know, Mowgli's like from the Jungle Book. These children that are found who have, for whatever reason, uh, they've they've grown up in in the wild or they've grown up around animals. And I know it's very rare this happens, but it almost felt like that kind of situation where someone's been so disconnected from society they don't they don't know how to act. And as you were saying about about whether a, you know, a Superman could go one way or the other. There was the film, anybody who hasn't seen it. It wasn't amazing, but it, 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 the idea was better than the film, but it was, it's worth a watch. Uh, Brightburn, if anybody's seen that, it was kind of like an unofficial... It was basically Superman, but they didn't say it was Superman. So, you know, he's a child. Yes, but I know he basically, Yeah, he starts to go the evil way uh, or, or, you know, doing things type thing. And that was, that was pretty cool. But it is that... I like that this film... It, I like films where they will give you enough for you to figure out what's going on, but they don't ram it down your throat. They don't say to you, they don't dump exposition on you. They let you, they give you little tidbits, little bits of information, and then they let you work out like like we're doing now about all oh, that. Like, oh, this is what was going on, and oh, well, that makes sense. And I like that kind of thought in a film. I like when it's not just shallow. Like, oh well, yeah, we'll just take it as it is. No, I want you to think about how that would affect the character. And considering how many characters are in this film, it's impressive that for me they managed to get that depth of character across the board. Really, true. Keith, did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I agree with him a hundred percent. I hadn't actually thought of that movie until you just made a reference to it. It's been a while since I've seen that one. I, I it's been a while since I've seen it too. I think we might we might have to add that to the catalog at some point because possibly. <laughs> Yeah, good, good call there indeed. So I guess then moving on, let's get to the dark side of the table. And starting off with our first duo of villains in the alternate reality, we have Carrie Elwis of Saw fame. Yes, folks, he is the doctor in the first uh, Saw movie who literally saws off his leg as Aquaman and Vanessa Marshall as Wonder Woman. So, uh, Sean, what did you make of evil Aquaman and evil Wonder Woman? Well, it's it's lovely to see Dr. Lawrence Gordon. I'm a big fan of so. In the film, I recognised his voice straight away. And yeah, Aquaman, I mean, I really liked the fact that at the beginning, he I liked how he, he helps, that he's with them, he's with the Justice League, and he, he destroys the bomb with the microbes. It's good to see him using his powers with nature. Like, you know, and, and that was really clever. In the alternative timeline, uh, the Flash timeline, he, he's... He's pretty evil. There's no mercy there. You know, he skewers a guy with his trident because he doesn't want any survivors, you know, because his wife's been killed by Wonder Woman. But Wonder Woman says, well, she was trying to assassinate me and because clearly Aquaman and Wonder Woman were getting a little bit flirty. So you know, hell, has, hell hath no fury and all that kind of thing, Shakespeare. And it, it, it was interesting. And then you look at Wonder Woman. In the Justice League at the beginning, she's clever. She works as part of a team. She never overshadows any of the others. She feels like a very natural fit. And this was something that kind of bothered me a bit in the live action ones in that it felt like sometimes, I, I don't think it was Gal, Gal Gadot, uh, it wasn't her, it wasn't kind of her fault because I think she's a good actress, but it felt like they wanted her character to be a bit overpowering or a bit overpowering. It felt a bit overbearing at times, like, if there was like her and Batman and Superman, she was the most important one for whatever reason they decided that to be. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a writer. Uh, but in this, she's she very much, she's clever. She works as part of the team. I like that. 
in the alternative timeline as well, she she comes across as quite evil, pure and simple. But you you understand with these characters kind of why they're where they are. It doesn't condone what they're doing, but there's a reason they're not just evil for the sake of it. Like, oh well, we'll make them evil in this universe. Yeah, but why? <laughs> but they, they, it, it's not like that. You know that, like you were saying right at the beginning, Nick. The it's quite gritty. There's some of that hanging scene where she hangs the guy with the lasso of truth. And, you know, his, his legs are all twitchy. I mean, that's surpri- I haven't seen this in a while, and that was surprisingly gritty for an animated film. And I, I respect that. Like, if it's like, if you're going to go there, go there. And I thought, yeah, I like it. Nicely done. And I like the the way that it end, the, the way that it all cul- uh, culminates with Aquaman. He gets his arm spliced off by a Superman, and then he gets killed. But he, he basically hits this failsafe. And you're like, what's he doing? You know, uh, but so no one wins essentially. I, yeah, I thought it was great. Really enjoyed the the characters as well. Loved it. Awesome. And uh, Keith, what did you make of our of our Aquaman and Wonder Woman? I appreciated the dynamic it has, and I hate that I'm going to make this reference. Sort of a Game of Thrones vibe to it, you know, where you have two kingdoms fighting over something, and while it's justified, it's a hundred percent self inflicted. You know. If, Aquaman could keep his uh, tadpoles in his pants. None of this would have happened, but he was trying to, you know, sleep with Wonder Woman because again, you know, alpha male, alpha female, they were just naturally attracted to each other. And his wife kind of caught wind of this and tried to, you know, pull the uh, alpha female card. And obviously Wonder Woman being slightly more of a badass and, you know, a technical goddess or technically a goddess, you know, was able to overpower her relatively easily and her showing him his wife's head definitely set it all off and all that stuff. Um, what seemed interesting was just how, while the war between the two of them, the, the surface was just pretty much collateral damage for all of the shenanigans, you know, Europe, they just wasted Europe. And, and if you really think about it, Europe had nothing to do with this. Same thing with America. You know, all the continents that they wind up decimating were just collateral damage because Aquaman couldn't penetrate that magic shield they had around Themyscira. So the United Nations and, you know, the people of the earth retaliating as they did makes a certain amount of sense. Granted, it's all spearheaded by the United States. And I get that because that's where the Justice League in the normal reality is based out of. Um, it was still an interesting dynamic to see them because they both had their just causes as to why this war was happening. I'm not saying that it should have gone on and they should have blown the planet up, but the fact that they were fighting it was very reminiscent of Game of Thrones or any type of movie of that genre. You know, there was a lot of like headstrong people fighting over. I'm not going to say petty shit, but you know, dumb stuff triggered this and dumb stuff's going to end it basically. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think when it came to these, to the alternate versions of these characters, I think it's very much the, should we say extreme versions of what they, their beliefs are when it comes to the, to prime earth, if you will, because of course, you know, Aquaman is very much all about wanting to preserve the oceans and the seas and, and such. And, while you know ocean master for example who actually in this version is one of his lieutenants 
is all about flooding the earth and kind of taking revenge on the land dwellers for what they do to the to to the uh, to the oceans and the seas. And I kind of can't blame the Atlanteans for being a little bit pissed at mankind because we are kind of messing up our planet as as things progress. So there's almost that exaggerated version, should say, thing to the extreme. Aquaman almost becomes Ocean Master in this version where. I cannot, you know, the, the human beings must die. Land dwellers must die. There's no room for them. And uh, Atlantis will take its rightful place. While on the other hand, you have Wonder Woman and Themyscira and that whole, I think, very that exaggerated feminist aspect where the women were allowed to survive. The men who are awful will die. And, um, and Diana actually makes a point about this saying, you know, if you have kids or something like that, yeah, we'll let the, the, the girls survive. The men can die. So, so there is almost that the, these, their beliefs taken to the extreme when it came to them, should we say getting, getting cozy together? I, I was kind of glad we didn't get a hentai kind of scene of animated sex. Cause like, yeah, Mm, I mean, it's I, what's great is that it's implied. You don't have to show us everything. And DC, the DC animated uh, movies have done quite a bit of this sexual innuendo. And we saw this when we when we reviewed Teen Titans, the Judas contract there, it was uncomfortable, excessively. So here I was like that. I appreciate that they didn't show us everything. It was very much implied about what was going on. And the fact that we had no dialogue, it was just images and, and music to show us, you know, when Aquaman and Wonder Woman actually meet and ostensibly they sleep together to the uh, anger and the frustration of Mira, who ends up getting her head cut off. But uh, yeah, it's it, and then, of course, it turns into a power struggle. And I was trying to actually kind of figure out if it had been just up to Aquaman, whether he would have uh, taken on Wonder Woman and not said and not thought you and I can rule the world as king and queen. And it might've been at the behest almost of the Atlanteans. So like he, they, she, she kind of killed our queen, dude, you kind of have to do something about it. So it's almost like maybe to keep the peace, if you will, because he doesn't really seem to care that, that Mira got killed. So I think it might be almost, it almost makes you think of the current situation, political situation now of Russia where Putin is doing certain things because he he wants to keep the people happy as in dude you have to justify the stuff that you're doing and those, and you know and speaking of today's current situation the whole nucle the fear of nuclear weapons which is literally what aquaman brings and ends up nuking the world which god willing we hope that doesn't happen to us but uh, yeah, I, uh, I I appreciate I, I appreciate what was being told here, and I agree with Sean. When Wonder Woman literally hangs the man she loves in on Prime Earth, Steve Trevor, I was like, this is an interesting turn up for the books, where Steve is not going to get a hug and kiss from Diane; is going to literally get killed. So, so I did appreciate that, and uh, once again, uh, Carrie Elwis who uh, I also appreciate in the Saw movies, like Sean, I think did a great job voicing Aquaman and Vanessa did a great job voicing Wonder Woman. The only thing I thought was a little bit odd is how buff Aquaman, Aquaman is. Like he literally looks like a Nazi on steroids because obviously the very short blonde buzz cut and the huge, I'm like, are they going for Nazi Superman here kind of thing? Because it seemed like he was exaggeratedly muscular, but I get it. You know, well, but if you think about it, you know, he's right. at the bottom of the ocean, so he has to be able to survive those pressures and all of that. And he's a war monster, so he's been fighting. So I, I can I get the being more muscular. The hair 
it's funny that you point that out like that, but yeah, the muscular and the, just the general asshole attitude makes sense for the type of character he was supposed to be portraying. I mean, as for being a Nazi, as long as he, you know, you look under his armpit and he doesn't have his blood type there, you, you know, he's not a part of the SS, so you're all right. But <laughs> I, they do have that, history, throwing a bit of history knowledge in there, why not? You, they do have that exaggerated comic book look, you know, with the massive kind of upper body. Thankfully, the heads are well proportioned, so they don't look like they've got pea heads. But it, it, it is that kind of look, isn't it? And it's, it's I like I like that kind of look up because it's, you see more recently with superhero films, the scenes have been moving away from that with, with the men. They don't want the men to look like that. I, I don't know. I don't try to get into the politics on my show. So I won't drag it here, but whatever the reasons are that they don't want men to look like, you know, Schwarzenegger, I don't know. But yeah, I, I did, that did hit me a few times where I was like, these guys must have trouble walking through darts because they're so wide. They're so like broad in the shoulders. But uh, my, my last point, sorry, because I forgot to say it earlier, between Wonder Woman and Aquaman, you know, again, with the film, like you said, Nick, showing you, not telling you and letting you get your figure your own things out. The bit at the end where the world's nuked and Wonder Woman doesn't know what Barry's doing. She doesn't have a clue. So she, it's her last moment alive. You know, she turns Aquaman and cradles him as she faces her last moments of life. So that gives you a whole, a lot of questions upon, does she love him? Was it just a, the world's worst lover's tiff? You know, that kind of thing. So there's, I like that. I like when that ambiguity, that greyness of character. I like that. I, I always have them. I think so too, because I think maybe uh, um, Diana maybe literally did love Aquaman and there could have been something between them, but uh, I think it was maybe just, it was politics, I think at the end of the day, more than anything else, kind of stood between their love, if you will, because like I said before, you know, the Atlanteans like, she killed our queen. You're not going to allow that, are you? <laughs> so I guess that might have been what was going on. Uh, Keith, did you have anything else you wanted to say on either Aquaman or Wonder Woman? No, I, I think both of you guys kind of, Drove the the nail, you know, home with that one. They they crazy for what they are, and they fit for what they do. Very well said. And speaking of crazy, let's round off our characters by looking at our other big bad. We have, of course, C. Thomas Howell as Eobard Thorne, Professor Zoom. So, Keith, what did you make of our crazy professor? I mean, is he technically bad because he actually did nothing? If you think about it, I mean, if you want to split hairs, he did kill Barry's mom, but he didn't cause Barry, you know, he wasn't the guy who ran back in time and changed the the timeline and all that stuff. So really, he's just a spectator in this. And hell, he saves Lois Lane in the beginning of the movie. So really, he's not necessarily the bad guy. He is a bad guy in general, but just happens to be like a weird happenstance where he's you know, a neutral character this time around. Um I did like the writing. I liked everything about it because he, you know, in the beginning of the movie, he is messing with Barry in his the, the Flash um, uh, museum. He's messing with him then. He kind of messes with him the whole time, and then at the very end, when he, you know, does run into him again in the alternate timeline, he does mess with him. He jabs him through the leg with that tire iron, and he's like, "I'm just gonna stay here and." suck the time force or the speed force from you so you can't go back in time and change things i want to watch this train wreck i'm fine with dying as long as you don't survive so it's a lot of i'm not going to say petty in some cases but it was kind of petty um but the way he dies is like the most messed up spectacular way possible because you're sitting there and just all of a sudden like you see this 
bullet pop right through the front of his head. And you're like, holy shit, that just happened. But to go back to what you guys touched base on in the beginning where you see Wonder Woman literally hanging him. Um, what's his face? Steve with the rope and you're watching his leg twitch and everything. I'm like, well, they're setting the bar pretty high here. So to see him actually get his brains blown out was kind of par for the course. Um, he was utilized just enough. He didn't necessarily um, go overboard. He wasn't like a main focal point. It was primarily Barry. And at the end, when he's trying to take him off the chessboard, for lack of a better term, he messes with Barry just enough. So I, I think he he did his job as a, a, a plot device slash villain perfectly. Yeah, and, and speaking of you know, kind of Chekhov's gun, there literally we have Chekhov's gun that ends that ends the life of Eobard Thorne. And uh, Sean, what did you make of Professor Zoom? Sean, sorry, my audio dropped out there. Sorry, guys. What was that? Sorry. No worries. No, I was just saying. Yeah, your thoughts on Professor Zoom. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm sticking with the Doctor Who references, right? And I liked what you said, Keith, about <laughs> about uh does he really does Professor Zoom really do anything? Because it kind of reminded me of Davros, and there's some kind of similarities in the Doctor and the Flash, and stick with me on this. Um it's basically where Davros says to the Doctor, you know, the Doctor, the man who keeps running, never looking back because he dare not out of shame. This is my final victory, Doctor. I have shown you myself uh, yourself. I'm not saying that the writing in the Flash Paradox is anywhere near as good as that because it isn't, but it has the same idea where he's like, I didn't do anything. You went and saved her. I, 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 I didn't do anything. You you did it all. You might have caused a bit, but you've done this out of your, you know, out of your shame, out of your, sorry, out of your selfishness. You know, you know, it, it gives the Flash a good pummeling but, and, and tries to blow up his cronies. But yeah, that, that was... I did like that character. He felt, to be honest, a little underutilized. He did feel a bit more like a plot point or a plot device. But given how many characters are in this, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt massively in that they would have had to have blown the runtime up. And then would it have felt like they were just having a minute for the sake of it? So I think I think it was it was good. But because of the way the story goes, he he because he doesn't he's not the main villain. Particularly in the second half of it, until the very end, when it you know Barry Allen's working out, oh this this was him, and especially when you know that he presses the ring and out comes the the yellow suit. Uh, but he's like a yellow evil malevolent anti Flash, so that was that's pretty cool. Oh, it certainly was. I mean, because that's the thing um, when because when that uh, that costume comes out, you know Barry and uh, Thomas are looking at the the costume, and uh, Thomas is like. He wants to show you that, you know, he he's responsible for this when he was already responsible for it because it was Barry who went back in time and tried to change the past. And Zoom's kind of just there to kind of rub it in his facing. Ah, see, you screw with time and this is what happens. And I'm just going to sit back and enjoy you literally, you know, having caused this um, this future, should we say, or this alternate reality. And I mean, I'm, I might be reading too much into this. But I almost saw when when the, he presses the ring and the, the Zoom's costume comes out, it's almost like Barry is his own worst enemy, as in he has created this and he is the one to blame. So he's almost both the hero and the villain 
because of what he has done to the timeline and has created this reality rather than, I mean, you know, it's Zoom being rubbing it in his face saying, you know, you've screwed up royally and this is what you get. But I do think, yes, he was used sparingly. Granted, he does play a big part when it comes to the comics, uh, when it comes to this particular story. But I think he was he was used enough to be the one who's kind of always taunting Barry and being literally the reason why Barry goes back in time to try and save his mother and thus causes the situation. And yeah, I think, and that's the, that's the whole concept about Zoom is the fact that, you know, some people make the, um, the uh, idea out that villains want their heroes to be better, their opposite side of their heroes to be better. So they push them to the extreme in order for them to be better heroes. Even the Joker himself makes these kind of points to Batman saying, we villains, we love you and you don't see it. That's why we act the way we do so that you can be a better hero. And so you could almost make this argument with Zoom as well as even though, yes, he's incredibly snarky and incredibly horrible, but uh, maybe deep down inside, he's like, I'm the villain, you're the hero. And so it's almost my job to make you a better hero by doing the things that I do and, you know, pushing you that extra mile and take, uh, taking you to places that you probably would not go, you know, by yourself. So there could be that as well. But uh, uh, C. Thomas Howe, I think, voiced uh, Professor Zoom very, very well. And he's one of my favorite villains. I, I love Professor Zoom. So uh, guys, anything else you'd like to either add on Professor Zoom or the rest of this movie before we get to ratings? Well, it's like Heath Ledger says, isn't it? He mm -hmm. says, you know, I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers and the part uh, earlier in the Dark Knight where he says, you know, um, you're going to have to break your one rule, that kind of trying to push Batman to break that rule. Like, you've got rules. I don't have rules. You know, you, you, to them, you're just a freak like me. But for my, for my last few points, uh, if I'm all right to do that, Keith, um, don't want to be rude. I, I did like some of the visuals in the film. Great Britain's been Great Britain's been flattened by the Amazonians. You see the Elizabeth Tower, Big Ben, flattened, and I, I like the kind of the underground feel of that. It felt a bit Terminator esque in a good way, and um, nice shot of you've got to say that nowadays with the amount of trash we've had in that film. Uh, nice shot of the Eiffel Tower uh, that's down, and I did like those. You know, a bit cliched, but I liked them. They, they were done in a nice way. I like the animation style. It reminded me of the kind of Scooby-Doo Scooby -Doo animated films, but in a good way, because I like them. I watched them as a kid. Um, and I do think the beginning of the film is very interesting. And it's very idyllic. The music's very cheerful, um, almost like a childlike cartoon. And he's almost skipping home to give his mum a birthday card. And all of a sudden, he, he turns up, the music changes, the house is destroyed, there's blood on the family photo, his mum's lying there dead. And, you know, you just you juxtapose that with the ending where everyone's slowly but surely getting killed. It's exciting, it's brutal, I loved it. I like when we get those kind of, you know, a, a bit like Endgame where things have, uh, no, whichever one, sorry, the one before, where the click and everything's just going like this is, there's no way going back like this. We've lost. I like it when they do that, you know, a little bit like in, I didn't like the film, apologies, but a bit like in the Batman where you think Batman solved it. And then the Riddler blows all, you know, the water, you know, all the dams and everything. It's like, okay, wow. He actually, a villain managed to succeed. This is pretty cool. Um, and again, the ending sequence is great. The, the different style of animation to show 
you know, Barry running and go when he goes to meet Batman with the letter. It's yeah, absolutely fantastic. And my favorite scene was, you know, Martha Wayne is the Joker. Would have liked to have seen a bit more of that. Pretty cool. Oh yeah, there's. I believe there's actually a whole issue dedicated to that when it came to the tie-ins of the Flashpoint paradox. If uh, if I'm if I'm right on that, Keith. Um, but speaking of you, did you have anything else you wanted to add, Keith? Uh, no. Um, and yeah, you're right. There's a whole Batman one. There's a Superman. There's a Cyborg. They kind of go into a, a lot of these characters' uh, origins more so. But you know, we get what we get when we can get it. If you know what I mean, you know, I they had a very limited runtime, so we had to focus on the core story, which they, they did a fairly good job of. I can't complain too much. I think so, too. I think, as, as I mentioned before, for the amount of time they were given, they definitely gave us a complete story. Granted, I guess they had to cut corners here and there, but by and large, they did give us a good and compelling story. So then let's get to ratings. Sean, what do you give this movie out of 10? Uh-huh. Well, well, given I'm the person who gave Batman and Robin a 10 out of 10, this next rating should come as no surprise. Wait, uh, Batman and Robin I, live action or Batman and Robin the cartoon? You got to preface this. The, the live action. I'm sorry. Um, Get out. <laughs> I know. I know. You were, I know. You were, I, we were going to be best friends so, now. You, I was doing so mm-hmm. well. Exactly. There's, there's a whole story. I, I, was, I was in hospital. My dad got me the video. It's, it's, it's an emotional thing, right? Oh, I, okay, I know, okay. I know how bad it is. I know how bad it is. Trust me. I will give you uh, that then. Thank you. The, <laughs> I'm not completely crazy. The uh, the the nine out of I, I'd give it nine out of ten. I don't think it could have been any better. I don't think it's perfect. An eight feels too low. A nine feels about right. I might be being a bit you know a bit too kind to it, but yeah, I, I think it it holds up really well. I think it's one of the best um, DC universe films I've done, uh, and it just it it pains me because I'm I'm known in my own channel as being someone who gets very frustrated at superhero movies as a whole, especially the more modern ones. It's like, you can do it. Like, that's what frustrates me. I don't mind it if you just can't quite do it. DC can't, can't quite find the feet. Try all these different areas. I don't mind, you know, okay, you're trying. But when they do it like this and they do it well 10 years ago, you think, you can do it. So why can't you do that? I'm like a, I'm like a disappointed parent. I'm like, you won that race last week. Why can't you win this one? But uh, yeah, 9 out of 10, loved it. Yeah, or, or should we say, uh, like a, a football fan as well, like, you won the last game. What the hell happened there? <laughs> so it's like- depends, what, depends what kind of team you support, Nick. I do not support a, 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 I support a, a, you know, a, a team that does it win every week. So I'm used to it, fortunately. Fair, fair enough. You know, I mean, I guess being an Inter Milan fan, obviously, as you know, I was incredibly disappointed at the Manchester City Inter Milan Champions League final game. We held our own, but it was like, you guys were doing so well. It was right there, but you know, such as life next year. But <laughs> sports uh, metaphors and, and, and talk aside, Keith, what did you what do you give this one? Uh, uh, hmm. I, I actually I'm probably gonna go a little hard. I'm probably gonna give it you know a, a nine as well, just for the fact that it has such a high rewatchability, and if you go in the chronological order of the DC movies, cartoon wise, it's a good jumping off point. So all things being considered, it's relatively true to the source material. The writing's done fairly well. The the cast is done well. The art style I enjoy immensely. So I'm actually going to give it a a decent grade. I know shocking, but I'm going to give it a nine. Yes, because you're you're usually the uh, Russian judge, if you will, when it comes to this podcast. 100%. 
<laughs> exactly. But and I'd say it's unanimous this this week, folks. Is I'm also going to give it a nine out of ten. I thoroughly enjoyed it. This is so far one of my favorites uh, as well of the DC animated side of things. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. Uh, how might what my opinion will be like when it comes to other of the other and um, animated movies which i have not yet seen so i'm looking forward to to those but yeah for in this case it's definitely a nine out of ten great story which i was familiar with love the the, the score great job there and uh well and i think uh jay oliva did a great job directing this one so thumbs up when it comes to this particular movie so let's then get to recommendations keith for those who enjoyed this movie what would you like to recommend to our listeners I would uh, recommend they check out the source material because there is so much more that went on in the Flashpoint universe that they didn't have enough time to cover, especially like we're talking about with the Batman, Cyborg, Aquaman, Shazam, the whole Kid Shazam stuff, all those side characters that I brought into this that we didn't really get to touch base on. You know, I would have you look at the source material because it is it is a long read. I will not judge me there, not judge you there, but it is a good read. It's a nice, it's got a good pace. It has a little bit of filler, but what doesn't nowadays? That's probably going to be the only one for me. I actually believe when we reviewed The Flash, our friend Charles mentioned that now you can get the whole story as one big, should we say, uh, comp- you know, uh, book, if you will. Omnibus, I, yes. I yeah. think I've got that. I've got that. I think I've not read it yet, but I've got that. Oh, yeah, well, exactly. Get on it, sir. <laughs> exactly. What was that? Sorry. I said, like, get, get on it, sir. Get on it. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the, by the way, Keith, I'd forgotten yes. the Keith, the kid Shazam, and he said Keith Shazam there. The kid yeah. Shazam bit, where she just, <laughs> cool woman just, just splices murders him. him and just straight up. He just, just drops dead with his head towards the camera, dead, eyes open, eyes closed. I was like, okay, oh, we're doing kid deaths now, are we? We're going Dr. Sleep on it. All right, fine. Okay, go yeah, for it. You might no well. one's off the table. Everybody Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing as, as you were mentioning, uh, Shazam. Yes, I'm like, yep, nobody's safe in this movie. E- you will even kill kids. So that's how, that's how we're going to play it. And Sean, did you have anything you'd like to recommend? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I know people think I don't like superhero films, but I, I do. But I have a real love for the animated ones. Uh, Batman The Killing Joke, 2016. The Dark Knight Returns, 2013. Batman Under the Red Hood, 2010. And an older one, but a great one. Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, 1993. Got all of those on DVD. They're all fantastic. And it, it, it's like, it's, if anyone, oh, I forget, I'm not on my own, but if anyone's listening, like, you know, and you've not seen these before, they're well worth going back to see because that's what, you know, you, especially when you see some of the live action ones and they're disappointed, you think, you could do it though. Look how good these are. And you can't, I don't know, I don't understand it. But yeah, that those are my... Uh, those are recommendations and Brightburn as well, of course, which is, which is an interesting one to catch. Uh, if anyone's never heard of it, it's kind of like Superman, but they couldn't get the rights to Superman. So basically it's about Superman as like an angry adolescent and his powers are going kind of crazy. It goes a bit horror. It It's not fantastic, but it, you know, if you like superhero, I presume you do, you listen to this podcast. So it's well worth catching if you haven't caught it. We might have to have you back on the show to review Brightburn, I think, Sean, because uh, you, you definitely seem the kind of lad to the right guy to 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 uh, review that movie. And I agree with uh, with both you guys when it comes to your recommendations. I I was definitely gonna gonna suggest uh, the Flashpoint Paradox comics because it's uh, fabulous. And now that the omnibus is out there, you can get all the million tie-ins. Because when I read it originally, I only read the core issues because I'm like at the time, you know, my spending money 
wasn't what it was today because obviously, you know, being a younger kid, et cetera, who uh, was doing the odd job here and there, I couldn't spend all that money on comics. And, you know, now that I'm lucky enough to be able to do that, I was like, I finally got it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a, I, I, I come full circle. Now I own it granted digitally, but at least I have the whole saga, if you will, on my tablet whenever I want to read it. So I definitely will, uh, will uh, endorse those choices indeed. So, dear listeners, of course, we uh, reviewed this little movie for you. And if you would like to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email. That's happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. If you're the show support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness, or follow us on Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod. Also, as always, if you're listening to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, feel free to rate and review us. This definitely helps our our little podcast to get more ears. And so we get more, <coughs> excuse me, superhero fans like yourselves to, to discover this podcast of ours. We really appreciate it. So, Sean, when you're not here discussing such movies as The Flashpoint Paradox, where can folks find you on the interwebs? <laughs> uh yeah thanks thanks for having me guys it's been an absolute blast uh yeah i'm sean from the review yourself podcast the podcast with the sigh no politics no pandering absolutely no point uh, as you've probably noticed from this uh i tend to t- i'm not as structured as this i probably should be uh, <laughs> i tend to go off as nick knows he can't do the witches we go off on tangents nick actually joined me so we have the regular review yourself episodes we have an, a side series, about 500 of them. But the main one is the Defend It Yourself series, which I extend the invitation back out to you guys and to you, Keith, where we've all got those films that we love, but everybody else is like, oh, that's hideous. That's awful. Like Batman and Robin, you know, Alien 3, The Witches, Re- Reminiscence. The list goes on. Uh, the Fifth Element, stuff like that. I love the, the Fifth Element. I will fight anybody over that movie. I uh, oh, someone's already taken it, but I couldn't watch it back. I can't stand it. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. But uh, I burnt my bridges, haven't I? But um, yeah, so that. <laughs> so Nick, yeah, we can't podcast, have it back ever again. I know. I'm sorry. It's been a blast, though. One and done. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I I look. I I watch essentially whatever films I like. Uh, I've done a lot of horror stuff recently. I have guests every week. Uh, we have, you know, f- regulars that come back, and yeah, I just have, I just have a good time, and I think, I don't know what sets my podcast apart because it's it's tough, but I'm, I don't know if Nick would agree, but I'm very honest. It do, it doesn't matter if everybody if everybody else is like, I love this. I'm like, yeah, I liked it, but I didn't quite get this, and I like a good deep dive into films every now and again, uh, as you've probably noticed. So, yeah, if you want to catch me, uh, Review Yourself podcast, it's on Twitter. It's at Yourself Review. We're on Instagram. I say we, it's just me. Uh, Instagram, Review Yourself podcast 2021. Uh, we've, yeah, that's about it. Uh, you can catch us on all the platforms. And as Nick said, if you can leave a comment anywhere or if any of Nick and Keith's uh, fans or listeners are listening and you, who's this invisible sod you've got on? <laughs> Please let us know. But, yeah, no, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been, uh, it's been an absolute blast. Oh, we really, it was a good pleasure having you on. And folks, definitely be sure to check out Sean's podcast, Review Yourself, because it is fantastic. You know, the the man is as honest and direct as, as one can be. And I definitely had a blast uh, when I had the privilege and pleasure of guesting on that on said podcast. So definitely check it out. It's incredibly entertaining and incredibly fun. And Keith, where can folks find you? 
Uh, well, hey, I actually have stuff to promote. I know it's crazy and weird. Um, I'm on a new podcast with a couple of our mutual friends. Uh, we've just recently gone through a name change. It's I believe we're going to go with the the Hour of Comics. It's with a friend of ours, John Seymour and Jason Gurin. Uh, we talk about comic books in general, different topics, different subjects. You know, we kind of go at it from a very off the wall manner. Uh, some of us have read the comics before other times. It's just the first time reading. So it, it, it's fun. Uh, this week we're doing the, I believe it's a uh, fantastic four versus the Avengers. So that, that'll be a, a fun go through because I have not read that one in a very, very long time. So give us a listen that we're on all the major platforms, um, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, the whole nine yards. Fantastic. Well, uh, folks, if you were sure to check that podcast out, indeed, when it comes to yours truly, you can find me at my day job hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes. We play today's country, traditional country and everything else in between. More info about that, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast wise, uh, myself, uh, Rachel Friend and Zan Sprouse can also be found on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where we review all the best picture winners in chronological order. We recently reviewed The Departed, had a blast reviewing that one. And coming up next, of course, will be No Country for Old Men. And last but certainly not least, if you're fans of those superhero TV shows, Myself and Charles Skaggs can currently be found on the Fandom Zone. We're reviewing the latest episodes of Superman and Lois, and we'll also be starting to review Secret Invasion. And speedlings to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 2009 Bob Richardson film, Ultimate Avengers 2, Rise of the Panther. So a first stop for Sean. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure I can also speak for Keith as well when I say it was a, a joy having you on. And we definitely look forward to having you back sooner rather than later. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure. Awesome. And uh, Keith, anything you would like to add on our next movie uh, before we sign off? Uh, no, you know me. I always have the same closing. I look forward to everything that we review, some more than others. This is another one of my... Uh, Guilty Pleasures, the Ultimate Comics. So I can't wait. This will actually be a first watch for me. So I, uh, I enjoy yeah, indeed. Yes, because I will, I saw the first one. I'm looking forward to seeing the sequel. So folks, we'll find out together whether wh what uh, I thought of this one. Keith, uh, I think, enjoyed this one. But as always, thanks for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Ultimate Avengers 2, Rise of the Panther. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.